Abolition. Abolition. You have not offended any laws, so you have not offended. Let's have a real conversation. Alright. So that flag right there is burning. It's burning in my heart right now. Did you see the pictures of the people that were shot and killed by law enforcement in this country? That's white supremacy living in our hearts. Dylan Roof had white supremacy living in his heart. We are going to burn that flag down. We are going to break laws to burn that flag down. We are going to bury white supremacy. We are equal, brothers. We are equal. Right now, you're coming at me abusing your authority as no, a man. No need for a name. You are abusing your authority. Yeah. 12 killing nigga in the race, got me stressed. Riding around with a legal weapon for protection. We've been begging, we've been begging, we've been begging. Fighting this oppression, still getting neglected. Burn that shit down till it's melting. Burn that shit down till they get the message. Burn that shit down until they respect Burn that shit down Mama pray for me even when you ain't sleeping So scared to die, I don't sleep, I be all geeky Got smoke with the ox, cut the cop Got me riding around with Glock, screaming for police Or policies, you know what I mean, and I mean it. I ain't never seen racism till I seen it Niggas hanging from trees, 2020, I can't believe it 2020 with that shop, I bet I'm a hitter. What the fuck I'm gonna tell my children? Since we color, we ain't got no privilege. Since we color, we ain't really got no meaning. Since we color, they kill us for no reason. No, 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 I ain't going for that. My ancestors been fighting for too long for that. And this dick on this body is too long for that. Fuck. Swear took my breath away when I heard him say he can't breathe. Cabinet took a knee, but 12 took a light with their knees. Over 400 years, niggas been protesting for peace. Even protesting peacefully, but get shot and get beat. How long y'all think we gon' keep going for that? How long you think we gon' keep going through that? How long you think y'all gon' keep doing us that? How long you thought it'd take before we react? We're smarter than we ever been. Yeah. And we know how to shoot FNNs. Yeah. Taking headshots, not no legs and limbs. Taking headshots, fuck the legs and limbs. I've been running around, feeling like a monster. Police trying to take me from my son and my daughters. I ain't pussy, and that's the way I will follow. Streets taught us. Never let them take nothing from me. President got a twister like a backwood. Let me know if I'm tripping or is it that good? I ain't seen a cracker hanging out in the backwood With the KKK wood I swear to God, it's gonna be a mess If I start snatching on white folk like I'm a wrestler And make them come to my house, work for me and call me Melford While they lock the shelf yeah. And take them away from all their family and children And then they try to run away from me, I will And if they go against me, I probably will kill them Would you respect me or call me a killer? Be ready to What makes you say that Hillary Clinton is, 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 is paternalistic? In the way that she addresses the movement, she wants to tell the movement what to do and how to do. I remember Martin Luther King's quote that some white moderates prefer, prefer order rather than the positive presence of justice. 
And to her, we are not representing a way forward. Our agenda is not good enough. And so she skips over us and goes to the establishment, which is the NAACP, the Urban Leagues, which allowed mass incarceration to happen on their watch. They do not speak for black America. There is a youth movement. We are in the streets. We are not apathetic, and we will vote, but we are not being heard, and she is not willing and interested in speaking to our agenda of eliminating the, the, the exemption clause in the 13th Amendment and finally making slavery illegal. illegal. Abolition. Abolition. Today. You just heard clips from our brother, slavery abolitionist martyr Moyadine Daba, followed by Derez Deshaun, burn it down. Peace and blessings be upon you. My name is Yusuf Hassan, and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. And as as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, brother. I'm here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, broadcasting live right here on Abolition Today. So last week we broke down the mathematics of oppression with our special guest, international news contributor, professor of mathematics, and founder of the annual Burn and Bury event, John Sims. This week we will be joined by two special guests, slavery abolitionist Samuel N. Brown and Jamelia Land. We'll talk more about them later, but first, Oh, it's your meet week, Max. Uh, can you believe we're at the end of the first season? Man, those are actually two big, big, big questions. But before we do that, if you don't mind, can we just take a moment of silence for Muyadine Elamine Moye, April 22nd, 1985, February 6, 2018. We love you, Moya. Yeah, no doubt, man. No doubt. Yo, he came in strong. That was us on the 4th of July with uh, John Sims as the conversation everyone heard last week. That was the moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, You see that flag? It's burning in my heart. We are going to burn white supremacy down to the ground. We are equals. Right. And then at the end, you know, you heard him on MSNBC dropping the knowledge right in front of those people who he had said were the establishment, you know, like he told them, you're not listening to us. We are the youth. We have our own answers. But instead of listening to us, when we tell you we're dealing with slavery and we want to get rid of it, you go to the establishment. The Boy, dynamic you. brother, man. Yeah. And we miss him. So, we miss him tremendously, man. Yeah, definitely. So um, how was the week? Oh, man, where do I start? You know, Tuesday we had the uh, ASNN debriefing meeting, which is the Abolish Slavery National Network. And that was truly a national and an epic uh, gathering of slavery abolitionists at every level of society, uh, from grassroots organizations all the way up to senators' offices, um, you know. And we were all there to debrief on, on the victories that we have achieved over these past few months 
since we've collectively started working together. So that was awesome to witness and to be a part of uh, true history. And then the very next day, Ohio came out and uh, gave had their hearings in the Senate on the exception clause in Ohio. And that, again, was epic. It's like these brothers and sisters all over it, man. Right. Ohio made me proud. Right. Shout out to Epic. <laughs> Shout out to Epic, no doubt. And then uh, yeah, the definitely. next day, Wednesday, we uh, they published a webinar that we did with Jamelia Lamb, who will be out here later tonight. Uh, it was mm-hmm. published in Vanguard, I think it was. Uh, but that was a real nice write-up, and it included yours truly here, and me and you. They mentioned us at Abolition Today. So that was Hey, nice. what can we say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, you know, we were celebrating Texas, getting their legislation together, and uh, the upcoming events that going to happen with Alabama. We have uh, received a grant from the ASNN for myself and Dennis Febo, Tribal Rain, and Savannah Eldridge to go to Atlanta on the 155th anniversary of the ratification of the 13th Amendment, to Alabama, rather, and uh, speak with the legislators there as well as do a rally at a historical location. You know, my biggest take from that gathering we had this past Tuesday is how many, one, how many people were there, but also the sentiment that how many just, you know how we get sometimes where you feel like you're all alone Mm -hmm. and then you, or everywhere you go, you have to re-explain why we do what we do. And then to actually be in the room with, I mean, it was so many people. I would say close to 100 people were there yes. with everyone on the very same page. Everybody on the same page. Isn't that the beautiful part? <laughs> like, yeah, we didn't ever imagine it. Years, well, we would have imagined it, but we had to work hard to get to it. And it, it seemed like right. a dream. And then during the meeting, you know, uh, state operations was providing documents as well as imagery to show where we're at and that map where all the free states are in black and everybody was like oh that is hot black is the color of freedom we all want to have a whole map black so you got the black parts which are free states then you had the blue states which were uh will be free in 2021 and then we had the dark red states who will be free in 2022 but it really showed the scope of this effort right now yeah, it's tremendous. It's tremendous. And, you know, our ancestors would be proud because they started it. And they started we picked it. up the torch and carried it on. And those who will follow us will be proud of the work that we're doing now. Man, and it, it, it takes a lot of effort. you got to go against everything sometimes, you know. Even the people who say they love you or support you sometimes – laugh at you or or treat you like, you know, they can't say your name or they can't share the information that you put out there. And then suddenly, all of a sudden, you're popular and it's like, hey, remember me? Right. (laughs) What you got now? (laughs) Let me me get in on that. Dude, we're not in here with that type of recognition. We're trying to end slavery. You know, that's what it's all about for me. I'm the father of two formerly incarcerated sons. I've had my father in prison. Um, Many of my family members have either seen prison or been killed because of this system. 
Um, I've right. seen my family in abject freaking poverty behind the systemic oppression that has occurred and been right at the heart of it all along. So this is very personal for me, man. You know, if the, if the 13th Amendment is the way to get my people freedom, then let's go with that because the alternatives are too bloody. Yeah, and I don't and, want to stall and, no more. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, that yeah. exception clause of the 13th Amendment is the greatest racist monument, a monument ever erected. You know, we've yes. shown that over the course of this entire season. I mean... When they talk master classes, as you refer to it all the time, we've definitely done a master class. You know, I mean, if I was to ask you, Max, out of all of these weeks, which was your favorite episode? Would you be able to pick one? Yes. Which the okay. live the live test run before the premiere on March twelfth. Really? <laughs> when it was just you and me. <laughs> Because that right. was the scene. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm big right. on initial conditions. You know, initial conditions of chaos. I'm real big on recognizing those, those things. And that was the moment. Hey, uh, you know, Chaos theory is your thing, man. Fractal yeah. geometry. I know you talk about it all the time. That little seed we planted really grew uh, flowers that bloomed. So, you know, we went over everything you can imagine, as you said. And we still got a lot more to go. We could talk about this for the rest of right. our life and never really cover it all. But we're, we're covering right. enough to really be able to get people to understand this better and understand that they have and acted on it. So, you know, we started out with our premiere broadcast and then the music incorporation, the ancestors' voice. That's always my favorite, man, the bridging the yeah. gap segment. Yeah. Because I know the ancestors are smiling like, what, you got me talking and I'm teamed up with who? <laughs> right. Know? So we bring the, the artists of today together with our ancestors and it's just a beautiful combination. You know, it shows that. Yeah, and Go ahead, brother. I was just going to say their work and their words are not collecting dust in some college library somewhere. We're digging right. it out. We're finding it and we're broadcasting it to the world. Right, right, because they know what we're dealing with. They dealt with it, and that right. is why they're smiling on us, because we recognize uh, the fight that they fought for was for us, and we got to do the same thing for our uh, future generations. There was a lot of powerful programs. Uh, Mississippi Goddamn was deep, uh, man. Yeah. You know, just what's going on in Mississippi, that was pretty pretty crazy. Uh, of course, the 13th Amendment trap door, we broke down that 13th Amendment. They used that on the front page at the Abolish Slavery National Network. You know what I mean? Mm, <laughs> like, here is, right. you want to know about the 13th Amendment? Listen to this episode. <laughs> right. Right. And then, I mean, we broke down the money. We showed them the money hustle. How, yeah, the money trap. The money machine. Yeah, I mean, when we did, when we did, uh, what was the episode? The money machine. Mm-hmm. Thing. It, was, it was called the money machine, right? Yes, that was it, where we really went deep on Alex, yeah. farther than 13th had went, uh, just how far back to their roots of being established by uh, right-wing evangelicals. Right. And someone just put me on to, I hope she's listening in. If you're listening in, how you doing, Tiffany? Glad you're joining us. But she put me on to this documentary entitled The Family. I just started it uh, this morning. And it ties right in with what we were speaking on, Alec. And I think this, I think by the time I finish that, we'll have some more in-depth knowledge, you know, about 
how the uh, right wing extremist uh, evangelicals uh, are right at the seat of power, controlling the seats of power. So I can't wait to complete that series and talk about it when we come back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The one that really probably made me the saddest of the year was that casual killing act of 2020. Yeah. Tough. We episode. did our best. Very tough. We did our best to remember those who have been assassinated while fighting for freedom um, and put together some nice presentations for it. But it was just very sad because to know that's how they're treating us right now. You know, the uh, Ahmaud Aubrey case was an example. I think that was the part when we started yeah, talking that was about the, this, that, right? Yeah, that was like the uh, baseline of the program. Right. The Casual Killing Act. It was actually Virginia 16 – was 16 – 89? I'm not exactly sure. Uh, it's a, you, you, we break, break down all the dates and stuff. In the six, the oh, the ki- Casual Killing Act of 1669 in Virginia. 1669, yeah, in Virginia. Right. But in 2020, you still see the remnants of that acting for the same reasons. You know, two of my, I can say two of my favorite because I wanted to get this information out there. And I am so glad you and I had the ability to do that was the pillars of modern day slavery, which is the violation of the Sixth Amendment and the Eighth Amendment. So we did the myth of the Sixth Amendment uh, and really showed how there is no such thing as the Sixth Amendment. And that is a constitutional crisis happening right now. And then the state of the Eighth Amendment, we had to do the Eighth Amendment in two parts because of the um, the first part regarding the excessive fines and, and bail. And then the second one was blood money which was talking about cruel and unusual punishment, which is, I mean, what's the mm-hmm. greatest cruel and unusual punishment is life without parole and sitting on freaking death row, especially when there's so many innocent people. Right. Or for those who, uh, like Albert Woodfox, who sat on mm-hmm. in uh, solitary confinement for 45 years. You know, yeah. <laughs> you definitely yeah. can't call that humane. <laughs> ain't nothing humane about or, or just about the yeah. system there's nothing about it it's a for-profit system built on slavery and human trafficking and it always has been you could dress it up as pretty as you want you can get as many minorities to be slavers and overseers as you want and it's still going to be the same damn system when people point out to me max you can't say it's racist because rikers island got a whole bunch of black cars and there's a bunch of black cops so how's they racist are they racist too And they don't see no bigger than the individual at that point. We're talking about a system, and this small minority of people do not represent the system. That's called a fallacy of the average. Just, you know, you take this one sample and try to apply it across everywhere when the truth of it is that the majority of the police and the majority of the guards are white people. (laughs) So if you got this one little hole in the wall over here at Rikers Island where they're committing human atrocities on people like Khalif Browder – that only implicates the system as a whole. And these people right here have been indoctrinated or paid off or done whatever they need to do to be a part of their own oppression. Exactly. And, what, what, that ain't new. and then, yeah, and then uh, right around, what was it episode 12, 13, somewhere around there, George Floyd happened. Yeah. And we we began having a series of episodes where, as we were playing the Bridging the Gap segments of uh, Frederick Douglass, what was happening (laughs) during his time 
was playing out in lockstep in real time here in America when we began that, with the revolution will be criminalized. That was mind blowing. Like we, it got to the point where it was like, okay, we're going to ask Frederick what the next program is about. <laughs> and right. <he> did. <laughs> you know, and, and it was, was literally right. happening. We had the revolution will be criminalized. Then we went to the martyrs of a movement where we called out all of, not all, but many of the people who had been martyred in the pursuit of freedom. Yes. Yes, so many. And and that was that was, yeah. Those those were some really tough episodes, man, to get through emotionally. You that know, opening very track tough on the martyrs, through. the martyrs of a movement. Yeah. That opening track is one of my favorites. It's so touching, man. It's the video too. Which one was that? Refresh my memory. The martyrs of a movement. Do you, you remember the opening track on that one? Um, do I remember? I, Hell, I might be. Yeah, I'm. I can, I'm about to play it right now. Cause, cause all of them were just so deep and dynamic. You know, I have to applaud you. You did a great job on, you know, on the max mixes that you've created for the for the season, man. Thanks. You brother. you did yeah, a that was, tremendous that job, man. Tremendous job. And then uh, we were grateful to have an actual presidential can- candidate who was running on an abolitionist platform, Mark Charles. It was a uh, Navajo native. He ran on the abolitionist platform. It was great to have him on the program. And he even, you know, we could clearly say Mark has a personal vendetta with Abraham Lincoln because he really broke down how much of of a fallacy that uh, the whole idea that Lincoln is the great emancipator, as they refer to him. And, of course, it goes right along with Frederick Douglass calling the his speech, you know, I, I denounced the so-called Emancipation Proclamation as a stupendous fraud. You know, everything just yeah. was right in line. Hey, brother, uh, I want to yes. do some reminiscing about this, but I think we are at that point where we need to get into Honor Yard because our guests will be calling in uh, shortly. So what I want to do is play this clip. It's uh, Samuel Brown, Emotional Literacy-Based Criminality. And it's a wonderful idea that really it lets you know that you didn't get to the point where you're standing in a prison or you're, you, you know, been wounded in this war that's going on specifically because you're a bad person. There's so much more to it than that. And the powers that be know this. I mean, they create the conditions for poverty, which creates the conditions for criminality, which creates the conditions for them to make money on you, you know? And he really breaks it down on a chemical and neurological level. And hopefully he can flesh it out even more after we play this clip. So, now, once again, this is Honor Yard, Samuel Brown, Emotional Literacy-Based Criminality. We'll be right back. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. Today. Abolition. Systems of trauma. Hyperarousal. Constriction. Disassociation or denial. Hypervigilance. Intrusive imagery or flashback. Nightmares and night terrors, abrupt mood swings, temper tantrums, 
frequent anger or crying. Panic attacks, anxiety and phobias, depression and feelings of impending doom, shame and lack of self-worth, inability to love, nurture, or bond with other individuals. And last but not least, reenactment of the trauma. Trauma doesn't know a color, trauma doesn't know an age, trauma doesn't know a tax bracket, trauma doesn't know any of these things. Anybody can be traumatized in anybody. So does that sound familiar? Yes. Interesting to find out what your symptoms of trauma are, aren't they? Yes, that's not who you are. But it's a symptom of being traumatized. And we're here to heal each other. Isolation. Inability to love. Addictive behavior. Insomnia. Depression. Hypervigilance. Avoidance. Shame. Addictive behavior. Shame. Panic attacks. Depression. Isolation. Shame. Inability to be loved. Depressing. You needed the support when you were a little boy. You needed to be seen, you needed to be held, you needed to be loved. And what happened was your mom and your dad, they just couldn't do it. And there's no shame. There's no shame in what they did because they were doing the best that they could. I've been coming to jail since the age of 12. And since the age of 13, I haven't been out in the streets for more than three months. All my brothers have been to prison. Three of us are lifers. I dealt with a lot of trauma growing up. And it was difficult and it still is to this day. And when I came to this yard, I didn't expect it to be any different than from every other yard that I've been to in the state of California. Violent. Boundaries between races. I came here, I didn't see any of that. I saw an entirely different atmosphere. And the people around me, everybody was different. They treated you with a different kind of attitude, a different kind of respect. In one of our classes, we were talking about the effects of slavery on our behavior. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I ain't agree with it when I first heard it. But then when he talked about the discipline, I had a flashback of how I used to get whipped with a bull whip, naked. I didn't put the two or two together, but I realized, you know, that's how slaves were whipped because it was generational trauma passed on from one mother to another mother to another mother, and it passed on to me. I still got marks on my legs and stuff behind that. And I just remembered there was no one I could run to, no one could help me. And she just was telling me how much she loved me and she cried and she beat me with a bullwhip. But I was thankful today for the opportunity to forgive myself, to forgive her, and forgive all those people who traumatized her. I lost my father. I never got a chance to meet my father until I met him in prison because my uncles believed that he wasn't a man because he was gay. My mother was on drugs. My sister was sexually molested by my stepfather, and my mother blamed me for that. And I walked with that anger.
and then I got among these men, every man on this yard. And a lot of brothers took a lot of time out with me, from education, to self-help groups, to church. And I decided to change. It wasn't no easy task. So for a lot of guys that walk up to me and I walk up to them and hug them, because I didn't get them hugged. And I show y'all that love because y'all showed me that love. 31 years, I walked up in there and I got found suitable to go home. I love y'all, man. Thank you so much. Beautiful. So one more time, y'all. There is no shame. There is no shame. I can't hear y'all. There is no shame. There is no shame. Through the mist and the pain, I've learned to maintain. There is no shame through the mist of the pain. I've learned to maintain. There is no shame. There is no shame. There is no shame through the mist of the pain. I've learned to maintain. There is no shame. You are just incredible men that got the wrong hand this lifetime. And it's going to change now. And I can tell by what you've said and what you're doing that the future is is bright. None of us in here were born evil and that many men turn and women turn to criminal behavior as a result of not knowing how to process their emotions or what they're dealing with. And so the more that we do this work that Fritzy and the Compassion Prison Project is bringing to us, the more we better understand that we were not born bad people and we're able to heal ourselves. So we will look forward to working with you all, Governor Gavin Newsom, Dr. Robert Anzer, Dr. Felitti, Surgeon General Nadine Burke Harris. Help us. We need your help. Getting the word out and helping the people heal. Thank you very much. Hi, my name is Fritzi Horseman, founder of the Compassion Prison Project. You just heard Honor Yard with Samuel M. Brown, uh, Emotional Literacy-Based Criminality. And I believe that we do have our guests online with us. So what I'm going to do is bring in Jamelia Land. I'll introduce her, and then I believe you can do the best introduction of Samuel uh, out of it. So uh, Jamelia Land, you've heard her on our program a couple times. She is a member of the March on Board of Directors. March on Foundation, as well as a core member of the Abolish Slavery National Network. She's an activist out in California who has worked on several projects uh, out there that have led up to and including Prop 17. So welcome to Abolition Today again, Jamelia. Well, good good evening, Brother Max and Brother Yusuf. Thank you for having us. Um, good morning. Good evening, to, sister. 
do too. Thank you. Due to time constraints, uh, I'm going to make this quick um, and introduce Samuel. So uh, as as you all know, Samuel is my husband. Um, he's been incarcerated almost 24 years um, here in the uh, California Department of Corrections and uh, falsely stated rehabilitation. Um, and he is also the uh, founder and creator of the 10P program. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, with that, I'm going to actually let Samuel tell you a little more about himself. This Sam? call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Welcome, Brother Samuel. Hey, peace, Sam. And so, um, that's right. And so, you know, you, you heard that, that constant reminder of where I am. So I didn't hear the, the very end of what she said, but... Yeah, my name is Samuel, and as my wife has stated, I've been incarcerated for quite some time. As a result, I've gotten really familiar, intimately familiar, you know, with the oppressive um, system of, of incarceration. And I've gotten to know myself a great deal as well. And in getting to know me, it's given me the ability to better understand others. So with that said, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be here today. And I'm open to discuss anything you brothers want to discuss wherever, wherever the conversation well, may flow. Let me say this. Uh, you know, I was so impressed when I first heard that, and your wife sent it to me um, to review. And my first thought was this is what the kids need to be hearing. This is what Dennis Febo needs to put into his curricula- curriculum. He, you right. need to be out here teaching it to these brothers before they get in there. Uh, so that they understand what's working against them and how it pans out and the results that they can have in that. So that's what I'm hoping to see in the future uh, with you out here working with these young brothers and sisters before they get to that point. Sammy? I agree 100%. The discussion that I've had with men in here before is there's no need to wait until a youngster, 17, 18, 19, 16 at times, or 20, is in prison with a life plus sentence or a life without sentence for them to begin learning about triggers, causative factors, um, emotional illiteracy, emotional literacy, generational trauma, transgenerational trauma, and understanding how these contribute to their thought processes and and the ideations that they entertain that criminality is a viable coping mechanism. So you're 100% correct. The children do need to learn this to prevent them from coming here. I, I oftentimes trip that they'll bring a teacher into a prison and pay them umpteen times the amount of what they pay a teacher on the streets. And I think that is so backwards that you would bring a teacher to prison and pay them, you know, $100,000 in some cases, and the teacher on the street is barely getting by. But the teacher on the street is responsible for raising up the children not to come to the pen. But once they're here, you, you bring these teachers here and give them this, this large amount of money. So, yeah, I agree with you 100%. This is what needs to be taught. Yeah, and the teachers need to learn it as well so that they're able to maneuver through this understanding along with the students because, you know, it's it's not something that's part of everybody's understanding, adult or child, but we do know that there's a chain, and the chain needs to be broken, and some of the best places to break that chain is right there in the young lives with their interactions with adults who will set role models and pass for them and this needs to be an understanding for them so we don't have those days again where we say 70% of young people have thought about suicide in the past 30 days 
that's crazy. You know, we need hope. Mm-hmm. And Samuel, you're giving us hope, brother, with this understanding. If I may ask, um, Samuel, can you can you um, kind of expound a little bit on how you um, came up with this theory? Thank you. I don't want the listeners out there to think, you know, this is just some guy in prison that's just spouting off at the mouth and using some, you know, sesquipedalian, multisyllabic type words that he came across and he just wants to show off that that's not the case. Uh, we're here because the soul's on the line and we're trying to save lives. So that's why we're doing this work. And I found myself about to go up here before the parole board and I had to go through what they call a psych evaluation. And in that psych evaluation, long story short, this guy who walked in, you know, white gentleman, didn't know me, never met me before. I reached out my hand to shake his hand. He looked at me like like I had feces on my hand or something like that and scoffed at me and later wrote that I, you know, thought that I was um, entitled because I tried to shake his hand. And I just thought I was being pro-social, you know. But wow, responsible for preparing yeah, man, and he was responsible for preparing uh, a document that the board relies heavily upon called a psych evaluation. And in this evaluation, not only did he say that I was uh, egotistical and narcissistic, he also insisted that I had antisocial personality disorder. And so what I did, I went back and I got a diagnostic statistical manual of mental disorders, a DSM-5, and I looked up antisocial personality disorder. And I said, you know what, once upon a time, I exhibited some of these traits, but the fact of the matter is, I really do not fit this criteria. And the traits that I once exhibited, I have done the work to overcome, and I'm no longer this individual. And so I prepared a manuscript. I wrote a manuscript called How I Overcame Antisocial Personality Disorder Through Emotional Literacy. And what I basically disclosed or shared in that manuscript was I felt like I cracked the code of rehabilitation. Because one thing, Max, and Yusuf and Jamelia, when we come to prison, there's no one standing around with a sign saying rehabilitation this way or this is what rehabilitation looks like, especially mm. not here in California. You know what I'm saying? And I've been incarcerated for 24 years, and when I came to the pen, it was like, hey, what's up, homie? Here's, a, here's, a, here's some weed, here's a knife, here's some drink, going to be cool. You know, stay out the way. You know, when we ride, you ride. Nobody was like, hey, man, uh, uh, you know, you had some good brothers out here read these books, learn some knowledge yourself. But no one was really talking about rehabilitation. And that was supposedly the holy grail of which we were all sent here to achieve was rehabilitation. But it was just what they were feeding the public, and they weren't really making it available to us. So slowly but surely, I put together this manuscript about books that I read, positive re- interactions I had with people, and how they impacted my life and helped to change my thinking, about programs that I participated in that were available in here, as well as correspondence programs, and the tools that I extrapolated from each one and applied to changing my life. So I called it my tool belt. My BELT, which was Basic Emotional Literacy Tools, right? My belt, keep my pants up. And when I presented this to the board to tell them, hey, I do agree with this guy's assessment. I mean, I once exhibited these characteristics, but I no longer do it. And I, I wrote this 
over a hundred page document, you know, this book to show you, they took offense. They got offended at me like, who do you think you are? Do you think you're smarter than a doctor or do you think you're a psychologist and a psychiatrist and all these things? They just got to, they lambasted me, man, beat me over my brow, uh, beat me over the head. And I was just like, wow, I don't think I'm a doctor. I'm not saying I'm smarter than him, but I know my life. I know me. I've taken the work to get to know myself, you know, and they didn't want to hear that. And so when I say a moment ago that I'm not just popping off at the mouth, I want the listeners to know that uncomfortable situations are um, very powerful educational tools. And education is a powerful transformative tool. So over the course of my incarceration, I've been fortunate to obtain or earn my associate's or arts degree in social science. I have an associate's or arts transfer degree in sociology. And I have, I'm one semester away from earning a bachelor's degree in communication studies, and I'm currently maintaining a 4.0 GPA. So, Man, you beat me to the punch on that when I was about to brag about you. <laughs> Go ahead. My bad, my bad, <laughs> right? And so doing these studies, uh, Brother Max, man, I came across criminology to answer the question that Jamilia asked. And as I began studying it, you know, criminology is comprised of sociology, anthropology, um, psychology, biology, and economics. And supposedly it's, it's put together to study crimes, what causes crimes, how crime is responded to by social agents and the methods that they use to prevent it. This is what it's supposed to be, right? But the problem with that is it's rooted in classical criminology. And classical criminology stems all the way back to the 15th, 16th, 17th centuries where people like us, every single one of us on this call and possibly the majority of your listeners, were considered to be subhuman. So Mm -hmm. those criminological, those classic criminological, theoretical concepts did not take us into consideration. It did not take systemic oppression into consideration. It did not take emotional illiteracy or socialization into consideration. And it's responsible for a great deal of the concepts that we see in American jurisprudence today, all the way from the social contract to to just desserts to celerity to the due process. I mean, and you just look at the social contract. The social contract is something that people that support restorative justice are in arms about because it doesn't allow a survivor of a crime to actually question an offender and be like, well, why did you do this to me? There's no true healing. The state just jumps in and says, hey, we'll prosecute. And what that does is, on a whole nother note, open the door for all the private prison corporations and everyone to come in and make billions of dollars, you know, because it's not about healing. It's just about filling beds. Mm-hmm. I mean, so all of these type of theories are rooted in classical criminology. And once I began realizing that, I took the critical perspective because I'm, I'm into critical, all, all critical disciplines, everything that's postmodern, postcolonialism, that challenges the status quo, that's iconoclastic, that breaks images. I'm into that. And so the classical perspective of criminology, it, it, exercise, it utilizes tools such as constitutive criminology, which seek to look at the corporate influence on crime, Relations, social relationships on crime, the contextual experiences on crime. And so it's from this perspective that I advance the theory of emotional literacy-based criminality, taking all of this into consideration and evolving it past classical criminology, which really does not take a comprehensive look. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded.
people like us and from our community. One of the key things that you said in the very beginning was that you, when you you realized there was no real opportunities for rehabilitation. And that's one of those moments of clarity when you realize what you're dealing with, that it ain't about rehabilitation. It's about filling prisons. And eventually you even became a slavery abolitionist uh, with these understandings to the point where you were helping to write the legislation. We have 60 seconds remaining. To change the state constitution and remove involuntary servitude, which is literally slavery under another name. If you look under Black's Law for involuntary right. servitude, it says slavery, period. <laughs> you know? Right. So tell us if you, yeah. I know you got six, take whatever time you call can right. and tell us what you can. He's going to call right back in. Go ahead, Sam. Oh, okay. All right. Is he still there, or did he drop off? No, he's he dropped off. He's, he's calling right. He's calling right back in. Thank you, Jamelia. You're welcome. Thank you. You know, it's always um, it's always interesting to hear him engage other people in these conversations because I get this every day, all day, uh, and it's just <laughs> mind blowing. Hold on one moment. There he is. Okay. Yes. I think people are used to hearing prisoners' voices from this program. <laughs> right. No surprise. We've had listeners. so you know many I mean? call in. Yeah, we've had yeah. so many call in. We're funded by prisoners' organizations. I mean, that's what we're here for. Right. Yep. So to be able to give them a voice, uh, to allow their real voices to come out is something that we definitely want to do so you can hear directly from them. Uh, these are not... Uh, what, you, what we're led to be, believe that once you're convicted of a crime, you don't become a non-person, an animal, uh, okay, a non-intelligent back. creature. So, yeah, welcome right. back, brother. And uh, I think I was asking you at that point was what led you to becoming an abolitionist? And, uh, and let's start from there. What led you to this point? When these systems were created, we was we were not factored in. Period. When they get to talking about free will and universal rights and all mm-hmm. of that, it didn't apply to us. When they came over, when the Mayflower, when they had the Mayflower Compact, you know, when they did the, the Magna Carta, we were cargo. Mm-hmm. We were in the bottom of the ship. So when these Protestants and these good people, all these good nice white folks, was doing these, having these discussions. They wasn't thinking about the black plight. And so when people talk about reform or, or, or amending or just barely changing the system, that's not really going to help. It needs to be changed at its core. And so oftentimes people hear the word radical and they become afraid, but actually the word radical just means core change. And so we need a core change of the system in order to bring about the equality that everyone in America is, is deserving of. And just trying to put nip and tuck and, and put a Band-Aid on it is not going to suffice. So I know and always have known, you know, since I became conscious, that we need a core change. So that's ultimately what led me to um, adopting the perspective that I had. And my wife, I love my wife, my wife fights for the people tooth and nail. You know what I'm saying? God brought us together. This is a union made made by the Most High. And it was her that actually introduced me to the um, National Abolished Slavery Network and the work that you all were doing. 
once she get close to it, I was like, oh, you know, I have to be a part of it. And from that point on, it's been, we, we rocking together. You're right, brother. Like you said, the core issues, you have to deal with them. And if people need to wonder what the core issues, just look at what never changes. <laughs> That's your core issue right there. And from the beginning to the end, it's been bondage for us, one way or another, whether it's been slavery, chattel slavery, uh, whether it's been breeding farms, whether it's been convict leasing or warehousing bodies. All you have to do is look at the numbers. You can call it whatever you want, but it's a crime against humanity. And when you fight a crime against humanity, you don't fight it like a reformist. If I, if I may so, uh, ask, Samuel, would you mind um, sharing with the listeners? Um, this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Sharing with the listeners uh, exactly what it is that we are seeking to accomplish here in California with this constitutional amendment? Before I do that, I just want to speak on what Max said real quick, which is, yeah, you can't fight that from the perspective of a reformer. Because what that is, is it brings to mind an analogy that it's the equivalent of taking a sick fish from a poison river, plucking the fish, and, and, and injecting it with penicillin, and then throwing it back inside the river. It doesn't <laughs> work like that. you got to clean the river up. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, straight up. And so here in California, what we are doing is we, first of all, we're seeking to have the exclusionary language removed, first and foremost. So um, California Constitution, Article 1, Section 6 states that involuntary servitude and slavery are prohibited except for punishment for a crime. So that takes us all the way back to what you said a moment ago, Brother Max, about um, it being at the core, and we're not just changing the aesthetics of it. When we talk about involuntary servitude and slavery and them being here, and we think of the Civil War, the discussion that you, I, and, and you and I and yourself and my wife have had before was about seeing the Civil War not from the grand narrative that they present to us, but rather as an antitrust lawsuit litigated in blood on the battlefield. And from the right. moment that um, the transatlantic slave trade, from the moment that the transatlantic slave trade was incorporated, every industry had um, experienced a boom from, from tobacco to molasses to cotton to indigo, you name it. And what gave it the boom wasn't Eli Whitney and, and the cotton gin. It wasn't the steam engine. It wasn't any of that. It was those black bodies out there toiling in the field to death. You know, that's what gave it the boom. And the productivity in each one of those industries that were basically created never went down. So the true industrial revolution is slavery. And to assuage the collective conscience of the people who inflicted such a, a horrible um, injustice on all of humanity, they like to say that the industrial revolution was the creation of the, 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 the cotton gin and the, and the steam engine, but that's not true. And we're not going to assuage people's conscience. We're going to speak the truth. The true industrial revolution was the slave machine. And what the slave machine was doing was making people rich, countries rich, generationally rich. And so when you fast forward all the way here to America, the South had a lock on it. 
that machine was a new technology, and the North wanted in. The North was like, well, we want to benefit from this in our industries also, but right now the South has a lock on it, and um, it's basically an agrarian industry. So when they came through and fought the Civil War, it wasn't to abolish slavery. It was to condition it. And that condition was, except for punishment of a crime, which then made it, which became the mechanism that they could utilize to apply the technology to other platforms. It's almost like being able to use the same app on your Android system or, or your iPhone system. That's what, the, that's what the penal system did. It was just to make the slave machine adaptable to both platforms. And now you find slavery being utilized all throughout the country to boom and boost numerous um, industries that it wasn't applicable to before. So what we're doing here in California, upon realizing that, is taking that language out of the Constitution, but also recognizing that support services are what keeps the prison or the, the plantation, this modern-day plantation, afloat. And if they had to pay for support services, it would put a major dent in, in their operations. And support services, for those, for the listeners who don't know, are the people, the prisoners here that keep the prisons clean, the people that do all of the cooking and the serving of the food and the, and the prepping of the food and the clerical work, the typing, the fouling, the, the brains of the place, really. And these people are forced to do these jobs. We are forced to do these jobs. And if we were to say no, then Massa going to come with that whip, which is a disciplinary report, and put lashes across your back. And then when it's time to go to the parole board, you know, should you happen to have life or, or a great deal of time, then they'll say, oh, you refuse to work, boy, or you didn't, you, you defied a direct order, son, you know, mm-hmm. you try to shut down our operation. And they'll deny you for five 10, 7, 15 years for refusing to work. So what we're doing in California is basically removing that exclusionary language, but also taking away that will and placing those support services in the hands of the people who suffered the most from mass incarceration and modern-day slavery. Thank you, brother. Um, No doubt, man. Uh, There's another thing that I wanted to share with you. It's from an article. It's an ex, uh, excerpted from Andrea C. Armstrong, and it's called Slavery Revisited in Penal Plantation Labor. And it's from the Seattle University Law Review. She said, the architects of the 13th Amendment, by adding the term involuntary servitude, sought to erase more than slavery as it was practiced prior to the amendment. Instead, The amendment sought to maintain a free labor supply, no matter how or why the labor was compelled. So, yeah, man, that's it. You know, and if you don't do the work, hell, we were whipping prisoners until 1967 in my lifetime. They were literally whipping prisoners for not working in in my lifetime. And now it's more of a you'll go to solitary confinement. You'll lose your ability to get commissary. You'll lose uh, rights and privileges that they have gifted you. Uh, if you don't work and sometimes you'll even take a beat down from some of these guards if you catch them on the wrong day for to here at one point where the prisoners in Louisiana's Angola plantation were ushered out during mm-hmm. the pandemic at gunpoint to work in the fields right 
So I see the, the truth wow. getting out to a lot of the people who need to understand it. And that example will be Andrea C. Armstrong. Do you see that in your circle as well, that more are adopting this slavery abolition uh, perspective versus the uh, reformist view? Yes, I do. And it's, and it's such a welcome sight to see. You know, I think about the general election that just took place and the candidates that were running. And sometimes it's hard for me to reconcile. It's not really hard for me to reconcile. It's just interesting observing how you can put up someone, uh, such like a moderate neoliberal candidate, against somebody who was so extreme. Where we are today is we're, we're an extreme radical change of people's minds. And you cannot hide the fire under a damn bush. You can't do it. You know what I'm saying? For too long, people have been lied to and told that the penal system was to protect the public or the penal system was to, to honor, you know, those who have survived crimes. But now people are waking up. And no, that's not what it's about. You've been destroying families. You've been having the American Legislative Exchange Council and whacking up securities and, and, and GO, the GEO group and Core Civic and all these people putting this model legislation forward to destroy communities, to, to destroy people of color and marginalized folks and incarcerate them at all costs to, to put forth right. immigration policies that, that rip families apart and then fill up these immigration centers, not because these people are bad or they're rapists or they're drug dealers or nothing like that, but because they're easy to prey upon and get this money, you know, and carry out their racial tendencies at the same time, their racial ideologies. So I definitely see the change, and it's, it's very welcome. The scary part is that you have those who are so resistant to change, like those who don't want to admit climate change, you know what I mean? They'll stay saying, oh, two plus two is five. You're like, no, two plus two is four. Y'all pass the three strikes bill, it's destroying communities, it needs to be rectified, it's wrong. And they'll steady argue otherwise, knowing that they, they're out of pocket. And so that's the scary thing, is how far these people will go to maintain the status quo in the face of all the change that we see that is happening and being embraced. But yes, I do see it. Awesome, man. You know, it's been a pleasure to have you here today. Um, I don't know what your time is like, but about 8 o'clock or a little after 8, we want to take a music break. Um, but before we do that, I want to give you the opportunity to have an open mic to say whatever it is you want to say to our listening audience. And uh, keep in mind that the people that listen to this program, they write on the same page with you already. You, you know, a lot of things you ain't got to explain, they know, and you can build instead. So whatever you need help in, whatever you want them to hear, please just let them know now. Can I can I make a quick request if you have time? Can you do the theory in poetry form, spoken word? Wow, that would be awesome to have it live here. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Only wise can do something like that, put you on the spot that way, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, thank you, darling. Right. So it's called uh, theory of emotional illiteracy based criminality. The theory of emotional illiteracy. You have 60 seconds remaining. Wow, imagine that. Criminality. So. Okay, let's go ahead and do that. And uh, after that, we'll take our music break. Perfect. Okay. Okay. 
Okay, so uh, uh, I'll tap him right back in. All right. Wow, Max. So yeah, we about to get it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> it's great when we have you know artists on and they can give us a a, a live rendition of their work. Hey, you know me, I'm a spoken word artist. I'm I'm a fan of some live poetry on the program. Why not? Especially yeah, when you're breaking down this. And and I don't I can't express just how much hope this can give to individuals to understand themselves better. Because that's what changed me. I was a bad guy until I started to understand who I was and why I was and where I was and those simple questions and I and I got answers to them. And that made me change my mind. Hey. There it is all the time. There it is. That's yep. that's okay, one of my favorite quotes from you. <laughs> all right, welcome back. back. We're about to get a treat. Uh, we the uh, theory of emotional literacy based criminality in spoken word format from Samuel M. Brown. Emotional illiteracy-based criminality. The theory of emotional illiteracy-based criminality. OMGZ, are you pizzic and is up with them pizzic and bizzown? And if sizzle, how in the wizard of that sizzown? For baseline social, economic, ethnographic, cutting-edge criminogenic supposition. I mean, listen, the theory of emotional illiteracy-based criminality. That means before we was offenders, we was casualties. And we didn't mean to offend you when we casually reenacted the trauma that I suddenly suffered when I thought the whole world was mad at me, so I was mad at the whole world. I thought the whole world hated me, so I hated the whole world. As my development stopped my head to all my brain, cooked my blood, bro, what ailed me, I couldn't unfurl, because to talk about it was to be a little... Gr- that is, according to the roles that they attempted to set forth for me through American structural functionalism, you know the... Ultra-masculine, super-macho, real men don't cry crap that socialized me to a standstill. Premeditated as a planned kill. I'm on neglected emotions with it and drive like a man drill. That curl lie and die in the emotional landfill. The stench from which can make any man ill. And not a regular ill, but a grand ill. So damn ill, he couldn't be healed by a meal in Advil. Had me down on my knees composing prayerful songs to the Messiah like George Handel. Hallelujah. Other times, I was just pissed. Pout. Lips poking out looking like a man drill. Yeah, that's real. My thoughts were like anvils that weighed on my brain because they was heavy on my mind. However, as they slipped from my tongue, they would disintegrate into the atmosphere with the intent to disseminate a message of redemption to all of humankind, which is there are more people in prison than they are incarcerated, but their freedom can't be commutated. On the contrary, their liberation is orchestrated to do season words articulated. See, prison is... My mama smoked meth, she used to smoke crack, my uncle shoots heroin. The molestation began when I was 10, and ever since then, I dreaded leaving school and going back home. My auntie's an angry alcoholic, my pops ain't never been there, my life ain't never been fair. My sister's a teen mother, the other one ran away, my brother's a gangbanger, the other one got blown away, and it's like the world ain't never cared. And shit, I'm always scared. But I never let it show. I've been raped, I've been robbed, I've been turned down for a job. But I know, I know, that's just how it goes. Happens to us all, right? So I guess that makes it all right, right? Wrong. It's not all right. You do not have to embrace a soft death because you live a hard life. Discover the medication that resides within your tribulation. That's word to the troubadour. 
the potential for hidden resides in past traumas that you choose to explore. And I say this because I believe that we were all born innocent little babies. But the world storm caused us to adopt coping mechanisms that were either lunatic, crazy, or just like totally crazy. To put it differently, we were all born innocent little babies. But the world... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. We were all born innocent little babies. But the world storm drove us all crazy. The circumstances you gave me helped mold me and shape me. Now you want to incarcerate me because I didn't let this shit break me. Man, we used to shoot, play sports and play video games. Then we learn to smoke weed, drink, and hang. Then we start to slang and bang. But what I now understand that nobody back then seemed to ascertain is that me and that uncouth group of aloof youth who thought we were a bulletproof truth weren't truth, no more than just a bunch of emotionally illiterate juveniles that bonded in our traumas. Yeah, we bonded in our traumas. So when you fast forward to today and they ask what all of us have in common, they say, well, maybe it's a white, black, rich, poor, free, incarcerated thing where opposites attract it. And you tell them no, because love doesn't know a color, trauma doesn't know an age, and healing doesn't know a tax bracket. When you see people like us gathering under the same feeling, it's a spirit. It's a feeling. We gather here today because we bonding in healing. Here, we bonding in healing. So don't be sitting there trying to hurt somebody else to feel good about yourself. If you need help, then you ask somebody for help. And if that somebody can't help, then you ask somebody else and somebody else. Did you find someone who can help? And remember this. Holding on to bad feelings is bad for yourself. So stop sitting there waiting on somebody to cut you loose of their spiritual, physical, and negative, sociological, economic abuse. I don't need to wait for you to relinquish your control over me. I hereby set me free. I take back my power. I take back my control. I take back my spirit. I take back my soul. I'm free from the traumatizing things to each other that we do. And now I look in the mirror and say, Samuel Nathaniel Brown, I shade. I see you. And when life does get hectic and throw me a curveball unexpected, I recenter myself by saying this message. Please repeat after me. Anytime's a good time to better yourself. Y'all can repeat after me. Anytime's a good time to better yourself. Anytime. Anytime's a good time to better yourself. And no time is better than the present. And no time, and no time, better, time is better than the present. And the next time you give somebody that message, combine it with an offer to help. Thank you. You need some help, fam? You got you. <laughs> that, that was amazing. Amazing. No doubt, man. He's like finger snaps the whole time through, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Awesome storyteller, man. <laughs> and you know, Samuel, that's what we've done here since beginning in March, uh, is to tell a story and to help educate as we did it. And um, as a matter of fact, that is a good segue, you know, from one storyteller to another into our music break. It's going to take us about five minutes. We'll be back on the other side. Hopefully, be around because I did want to get some last words from you. I know, unless you unless you're out of time and got to take them now. Well, no, nah, I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna do my best to get it in. But okay, okay. Um, if I can, bro, it's an honor and All a right. pleasure. It's an honor and a pleasure, and I'm it, thank you. 
that's what I was going to say too, brother. Thank you for being here tonight with us. Thank you, Mayor, for no facilitating doubt. this phone call. Uh, we appreciate you, brother, and we got your back, ASNN, Abolitionist Nation, and worldwide. We're going to get this done, brother. We're going to see freedom. It's time. Amen. All right. So we're going to take this uh, music break. Hopefully we still have Sammy when we come back on the other side. This is The Power of a Story. From uh, a quote from the well, let's play it. I'll tell you who it is on the other side. Abolition, abolition, today unites people. Armies, gold, flags, stories. Nothing in the world more powerful than a good story. Nothing can stop it. No enemy can defeat it. And who has a better story than Brand the Brute? And people were behaving like they ought to good. There lived a little boy who was misled by another little boy, and this is what he said. Me and you tonight, we're gonna make some cash. Robbing old folks and making the dash. They did the job, money came with ease. But one couldn't stop, it's like he had a disease. He robbed another and another and a sister and a brother. Tried to rob a man who was a DC undercover. The cop grabbed his arm, he started acting erratic. He said, keep still, boy, no need for static. Punched him in his belly and he gave him a slap. But little did he know the little boy was strapped. The kid pulled out a gun, he said, Why'd you hit me? The bow was set straight for the cop's kidney. The cop got scared, the kid he thought to figure. I'll do years if I pull this trigger. So he cold dashed and ran around the block. Cop radios into another lady cop. He ran by a tree, there he saw the sister. Shot for the head, he shot back when he missed her. Looked around good and from expectations, he decided he'd hit for the subway station. But she was coming and he made a left. He was running top speed till he was out of breath. Knocked an old man down and swore he killed Sorry. him. Then he made his move to an abandoned building. Ran up the stairs, up through the top floor. Opened up a door there, guess who he saw? Who? Dave the dope fiend shooting dope. Who don't know the meaning of water nor soap? I need bullets, hurry up, run. The low light broke back this dope machine gun. He went outside, but there was cops all over. Then he dipped into a car, a stolen Nova. Raced up the block through in 83. Crashed into a tree near university. Escaped alive, though the car was battered. Rat-a-tat-tatted and all the cops scattered. Ran out of bullets and he still had static. Grabbed the pregnant lady and pulled out the automatic. Pointed out ahead, he said the gun was full of lead. He told the cops, back off, for honey, here's dead. Deep in his heart, he knew he was wrong. So he let the lady go and he starts to run on. Uh-huh. Sirens sounded, he seemed astounded. And before long, the little boy got surrounded. He dropped his gun, so went the glory. And this is the way I have to end this story. He was only 17 in a madman's dream. The cops shot the kid, I still hear him. This ain't funny, so don't you dare laugh. Uh-huh. Just another case about the wrong path. Uh-huh. Straight and arrow on your soldiers. Cash. Good night. 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 Good
We just came here to party See a few dames exchange some names I'm a top shot, the kids stay in your lane The cop shot, the kid, same old thing Pour out a little liquor, champagne for pain Slap boxing in the street Crack the hygiene in the heat Cop cars on the creek Doing they roundups, we just watch for the sweet Yeah, it's hotter than July It's the summer when niggas die It's the summer when niggas ride Together we'll be strong, but forever we divide so y'all are blowing my high Type of shit that's killing my vibe White kids are brought in alive Black kids get hit with like five Get scared, you panic, you going down The disadvantages of the brown How in the hell the parents gonna bury their own kids Not the other way around Reminds me of Emmett Till Let's remind them why Cat Neal Stay tuned up and down your timeline This fake news, people, is all lying Money is being made when a mom cries Won't be satisfied till we all die Tell me who do we call to report crime If 911 doing a drive-by It's certain things I can't abide by I ain't being extreme, this is my side Talking big shit, ready to die I know every story got two sides Claiming he's paranoid by the black guy Cop wanna make a home by night time Just a good kid, he wasn't that guy Had a little head, he wasn't that high Cop gon' claim that it was self-defense Say he was riding dirty, so the case rent Working out of five Try to stay alive Making ends meet Shot him this week Abolition Today Today you just heard the power of a story from Game of Thrones and Slick Rick's children's story, followed by Nas and Kanye West. Cop shot the kid. You know, I have, I told you earlier, brother, I have never really listened to that song from the perspective of an abolitionist, and it damn near made me cry just thinking of that story, man. But you right. know, I'm all sensitive anyway. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a, super. That was a max mixture. Yeah, and we're talking about stories, then, and and I think of uh, so you have the Paul story, Game of Thrones, something that was written. You have uh, Slick Rick, which we know when it comes to hip hop, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, storyteller of all time, who invented that art of storytelling, basically. And we know Nas's greatest album, it was written to me. Kanye's greatest album was The Life of Pablo because of his writing that was expressed on the album. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a lot to written, writing, expression. And, yeah, when you look at these things from or through the eyes of an abolitionist, they mean something completely different than yeah. just someone bouncing along to a beat. Because most people, when they hear children's story or that beat, you know, you you know you think of uh that whole uh Big Daddy Kane era and you know the dance that we were doing during that time you know yeah. so but when you peel back the onion you really 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 think about what's being said and what's being discussed and the way they chopped you know the cops killed the kid and like Nas said you, you know uh the white kid gets brought in and the black kid receives five, talking about being shot five shot, times. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's real. It's and real. the story itself was a, a good example in art of the emotional illiteracy-based criminality theory that Samuel just told us about. And I wish that, right. I hope they called back because I did want to get some final words from him or Jamilia uh, before we close out our season finale. But I am so appreciative that they both called in today to share his story and his theory on how we can get some hope for these kids. You know what I mean? Because they are blaming themselves. We're blaming them. Their own parents will do it sometimes. You know what I mean? Like the people right. around you point at you. It's your damn dreads. If you just cut them dreads, if you stop smoking reefers, if you pull up your pants, if you learn how to spell, I mean, <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's always, what can you do not to get enslaved? And if you get enslaved, it's your fault. And then, you know, the idea that one in three young black men can expect to go to, to go to prison in our lifetime doesn't even dawn on those who are accusing their own family members of being the reason that slavery exists. Because you got caught. You did the wrong thing. You know, master, get you. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah, I'm hoping that Jamelia can call back in. I'm reaching out to her right now. Awesome. Uh, awesome man. And so, in the well, meantime, I, I mean, you know, we can fill some space and finish our recap of the season. Yes, yes. We, we covered so many. And. I think if I had to pick a favorite episode, which would be next to impossible, but I think one of the most impactful episodes we had was Blame the Presidents. I knew you was going to say that. (laughs) Yeah, because we always hear this Democrat, Republican, oh, what did Obama do? What did this person do? Blah, 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 blah. We hear this all the time. Mm -hmm. And what we laid down was we showed, because first of all, when you talk about being the president of the United States, we're talking about the most exclusive club in the, in, the, in the world. It's the most exclusive club in the world. Out of the history of humankind, you know, there have only been 45 people that have been in this club. And when we say the most powerful person on the planet, and so we laid out a timeline from Lincoln all the way up to Donald Trump of how they all are connected to this 13th Amendment exception clause and how they carried it on generation after generation after generation and took it to another level. And we specifically focused on Nixon, Reagan, Clinton. Clinton. Mm-hmm. Yes. Really, but we yeah. also probably shocked a few people when we, you know, brought out the things that uh, JFK, the beloved JFK, which today happens to be the anniversary of his assassination, but we brought out JFK and uh, Lyndon Johnson. Mm-hmm. Even some of the things, you know, uh, who was it? Uh, Hoover? That I believe that, uh, yep. Hooper. Who, who was at the helm when they came up with the creation of Unicor. Right. So Unicor. we tied that history in and even everyone's beloved Obama. Yeah, we showed the so, connection to modern day slavery and human trafficking, how each one of them helped 
to expand it rather than restrict it. They added a little more each time. Some did more, some did less, but they all knew it was going on, and they all added to it uh, in one way or another. And we was we, yeah, that was a hell of a program. Um, Absolutely. I guess I can't I see say it's Jamilia my favorite. Back. But one of the programs, awesome. One of the programs that I, I, I did want to give a shout out about was a warning to the American people from Frederick Douglass. After 19 weeks of listening to Frederick Douglass's uh, life story being read by Ossie Davis, and to the point mm-hmm. where he was predicting the weeks as they were coming, like, this is what's going to happen next, and this is going to happen right. next, uh, we heard the conclusion. And that warning is still, to this moment right now, this, very powerful. You should listen to it, yep. So I'll share that on Abolition Today, along with all of the other topics and news and things that we mentioned here on the program. Welcome back, Jamelia. Be, uh, oh, that's sorry. Right. I've got there you go. Yeah, we have Jamelia and, and, and Sam, I believe, is with you. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if you got to hear the music, did you? You probably didn't, right? No, I didn't. All right, all right. So uh, we played a little slick rip and mixed it with Nas and Kanye West, Cop Shot the Kid, and Children's Story. It was, it was pretty strong because we were saying, you know, I, I'd never really listened to that song, The Children's Story by Slick Rick, from the perspective of an abolitionist. And when I did, it changed the whole meaning of it for me. And it was very sad. And I also showed how it was really and uh, following your theory. It was his way of explaining it from the beginning of how that kid grew up to the point that he, the cop shot the kid. That's wow. right. That's true. 100%. <laughs> so, Sam, Sam, I understand that you only have a few minutes left. So, we want to give you the opportunity. It's open mic. Whatever you want to, whatever message you want to put out to people, or you want them to contact you a certain way, or whatever it is you want to say, you know, this, the time is yours, brother. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Okay, thank you. Well, my name is Samuel. Nathaniel Brown, and my neo-slave number, also known as my booking number, is P, as in Paul, 49627. Um, The address will be Post Office Box 4430, A, as in Alphabet, 2-122, Lancaster, California, um, 93539. So if anyone wanted to reach out to me or write to me, that's that. Or you can send an email to um, 10P, Tech, T-E-C-H-L-I-T. So it's the number 10, the letter P, and Tech Lit at Gmail, right? And I I would love to hear from whoever appreciated anything that a brother had to share today or want to put me up on something new. And I really thank you all for this opportunity and speaking of abolitionists, I think of my girl, Jerry Silver. She's like one of my mentors, one of my ace boon coons from the Fair Chance Project. And she had asked me to write, I believe, an article for the abolitionists today, something like that, but I had never got an opportunity to. But she's very, very strong about abolishing everything that we're talking about. And she has a show, you know, uh, called Think Outside the Cage. And so what I think about with the listeners and, and the audience right now it's just about think outside the cage. And when I say that, I also incorporate the model from the 10P program, 
that, you know, Jamelia and I are real familiar with, which you heard in the poem, which is there are more people in prison than there are incarcerated. And so just because you're not incarcerated in one of these institutions does not mean that you're not in prison. And we need more people to recognize and realize that you are because almost every man or woman that's in prison was in prison before they came to prison. And in actuality, mm. they came to prison trying to escape their prisons, but didn't realize that trying to escape their prisons would let them to prison, if, if you follow that train of thought. And so Mental many of physical. our communities are the prisons like my name. Exactly. Mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, mm-hmm. you know, socioeconomic prisons. They, they, got us, they got so many different bars and gates that they drop on us that we like be meager from all angles. And most of our neighborhoods are San Quentin. My neighborhood is Rutgers Isle. You know what I'm saying? My neighborhood is Sing Sing. My neighborhood is Folsom. And so you have 60 seconds remaining. While trying to escape that, I wound up in prison. And that's for, for the many of us. And so with the theory of emotional literacy-based criminality, which, which, gave you, which um, allowed me to have this opportunity to begin with, I just want to say... I'm doing my best to advance it, and I appreciate you helping us get it out, Brother Max and Brother Yusuf. And we want the people that's listening to embrace this because this is a comprehensive approach to criminology that takes in consideration mm-hmm. us and our plight here in America. And sociopolitical theories have been utilized to pass criminological legislation or crime laws for quite some time, but none of them have been from a righteous place. This one is. And so it's been an honor to be able to share it I look forward to putting a book out about it and having this discussion more often. And with that, peace to you all, man. I love y'all. Keep doing the work, please. Love you too, brother. brother. Peace. Samuel Nathaniel Nathaniel Brown, uh, calling out of California and currently incarcerated, speaking about his theory of emotional illiteracy-based criminality. A powerful tool that I hope to see get into the hands of uh, these kids on the outside, as well as the educators. But, you know, there are, are times when the environment and uh, the trauma that you experience is not the only answer as to why these things happen. Sometimes they're much more nefarious than that. Uh, and that's one of the things that we're going to get into tonight with another clip that I want to play. Uh, and that's Colin Kaepernick speaking on Mumia's case. And, you know, we like to mix music, so we put it together with some uh, Janko Nilovic drug song mm-hmm. from 1975. But it's right. another story that we need to share with our audience. And this is the case where the police are nefarious, where they are doing this on purpose, where they have vendettas. And, and that's not counting the times when they're just doing it for money. But this is one time where they were doing it for a vendetta. So we'll listen to that. Come back on the other side. We'll talk a little bit about the case itself, and uh, then we'll start wrapping it up for the evening after that, I guess. I think we even got a phone call uh, here. I see, looks like Savannah might be on the line. If you want to see anything, if you want to call in, the number is 515 605 9814. We'll open the lines too and let our callers have something to say. It is our season finale. If you've been listening and you want to you know, share your thoughts about the evening, we'd appreciate it too. All right. So uh, get your phones ready if that's what you want to do. And we're going to go ahead and listen to this clip from Colin Kaepernick on Mumia's case. We'll be right back. Abolition. Abolition. When I was invited to speak on behalf of Mumia, one of the first things that came to mind was how long he's been in prison. 
How many years of his life have been stolen away from him, his community, and his loved ones? He has been incarcerated for 38 years. Mumia has been in prison longer than I have been alive. When I first spoke with Mumia on the phone, I did very little talking. I just listened. Hearing him speak was a reminder of why we must continue to fight. Earlier this year, the United Nations Human Rights Office of the High Commissioner issued a statement noting that prolonged solitary confinement, the precise type often used in the United States, amounts to psychological torture. Mumia Abu-Jamal has spent roughly 30 out of his 38 years in solitary confinement. In his book, Live from Death Row, Mumia wrote that prison is a second-by-second assault on the soul, a day-to-day degradation of the self, an oppressive steel and brick umbrella that transforms seconds into hours and hours into days. He has had to endure this second-by-second assault on his soul for 38 years. He had no record before he was arrested and framed for the death of a Philadelphia police officer. Since 1981, Mumia has maintained his innocence. His story has not changed. Mumia was shot, brutalized, arrested, and chained to a hospital bed. The first police officer assigned to him wrote in a report that the Negro male made no comment, as cited in Philly Mag. Yet 64 days into the investigation, another officer testified that Mumia had confessed to the killing. Mumia's story has not changed. But we are talking about the same Philadelphia Police Department whose behavior shocks the conscious, according to a 1979 DOJ report. Behaviors like shooting nonviolent suspects, abusing handcuffed prisoners, and tampering with evidence. It should therefore come as little surprise that according to Dr. Johanna Fernandez, over one-third of the 35 officers involved in Mumia's case were subsequently convicted of rank corruption, extortion, and tampering with evidence to obtain convictions in unrelated cases. This is the same Philadelphia Police Department where officers ran racial profiling sweeps like Operation Cold Turkey in March 1985, targeting black and brown folks, and bombed the move house in May of that year, killing 11 people, including five children, and destroying 61 homes. The same Philadelphia Police Department, whose officers eight days before the 2020 presidential election shot Walter Wallace Jr. dead in the streets in front of his crying mother, The Philadelphia Fraternal Order of Police has unrelentingly campaigned for Mumia's execution. During their August 1999 national meeting, a spokesperson for the organization stated that they will not rest until Abu Jamal burns in hell. The former Philadelphia president of the Fraternal Order of Police, Richard Costello, went as far as to say that if you disagree with their views of Mumia, you can join him in the electric chair and that they will make it an electric couch. The trial judge on Mumia's case in 1981, Albert Sabo, 
was a former member of the Fraternal Order of Police. Court reporter Terry Moore Carter overheard Judge Sabo telling a colleague, I'm going to help them fry the nigger. Found in December 2018 in an inaccessible storage room of the DA's office, six boxes of documents from Mumia's case reveal previously undisclosed and highly significant evidence showing that Mumia's trial was tainted by a failure to disclose material evidence in violation of the United States and Pennsylvania Constitution. In November 2019, the Fraternal Order of Police filed a King's Bench petition asking the court to allow the State Attorney General, not the Philadelphia DA's office, to handle the upcoming appeals. As the FOP President John McNesby said, just last year, Mumia should remain in prison for the rest of his life and a King's Bench order provides the legal angle for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to uphold Judge Sabo's original wish, which was for Mumia ultimately to die in prison. Today we are living through a moment where it's acceptable to paint end racism now in front of the Philadelphia Police Department's 26th District Headquarters. And yet a political prisoner who has since the age of 14 dedicated his life to fighting against racism, continues to be caged and lives his life on a slow death row. We're in the midst of a movement that says Black Lives Matter. And if that's truly the case, then it means that Mumia's life and legacy must matter. And the causes that he sacrificed his life and freedom for must matter as well. Through all of the torture Mumia has suffered over the past 38 years, his principles have never wavered. These principles have manifested themselves in his writing countless books while incarcerated, in his successful radio show, in the time and energy he has poured into his mentorship of younger incarcerated folks, and the continued concern with the people suffering outside of the walls. Even while living in the hells of the prison system, Mumia still fights for our human rights. We must continue to fight for him and his human rights. Mumia is 66 years old. He is a grandfather. He is an elder with ailments. He is a human being that deserves to be free. Free Mumia. Abolition. 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 You just heard Colin Kaepernick on the Mumia case with Jenko Milovic drug song from 1975. Uh, see, we got a hand up, so let's go ahead and bring that person in. Two, 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 five. Yeah, Max, this is, uh, this is my friend Tiffany, yeah. and uh, <laughs> I believe she's going to be a new member of the abolitionist, slavery abolitionist movement. So peace yeah. and welcome to Abolition Today, Tiffany. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm peace, so Tiffany. happy that you, peace, brother. Um, this is amazing. I am um, you know, Yusef, you just told me about this podcast yesterday. So now, for the rest of the week, I'm going to go to episode one and go <laughs> and, you know, work backwards or something because I had no idea. I just got an entire education this evening. And I, Samuel is the most prolific poet I've ever heard. What a talent. And 
he's, I would say, near genius. He's so brilliant. And um, I'm just so happy to, you know, just be hearing this and being um, a part of something that I really think is really important. I really think it's interesting when you brought up the uh, 13th Amendment and I, um, it made me think about, I saw something on the news um, just a few days ago, I believe it was in Texas, that they were paying inmates $2 an hour to remove bodies that were dead with COVID. And mm-hmm. it, it goes straight, it just pulled me right back into what you guys were saying, like, this has never ended. Slavery has never ended. It just took on another cloak, another mask for lack of a better word, mask, but, like, it's so interesting, and you can see it in our modern-day world, how it's, like, how it's affecting everything, how it's affecting our politics, our health care, our education. I mean, it's, it, it, it was just mind, it was just mind-blowing and really eye-opening uh, listening tonight with this. This was just amazing, so I'm really interested to hear the rest of your podcast <laughs> and um, I'm ready for next season. I'm ready for my education. Like I need to be listening to this every Sunday and I need to tell more people about this because I don't know if a lot of people really understand how this constitution really works. Um, so I really appreciate you guys just schooling me. I, I mean, I'm just getting the education. I'm humble. Thank you. Amen. You guys are doing a yeah, terrific job. Keep going. You. If there's any, Yusef, if there's anything that I can do, please let me know. I'll connect you with anybody that I know to make things happen. It's just a beautiful thing. I think you brothers are doing a wonderful job. You really bring in knowledge to us, and I just, I'm, I'm glad to just now know about this. So thank you. Uh, I, I can relate with how you feel. Welcome to the family. <clears throat> it is very much like a fraternity because it changes your mind. Now you're seeing a whole new world, and it can be overwhelming because you're looking at principalities and powers that have been working on us for centuries now. And how do we yes. deal with those principalities and powers? It can be very overwhelming. Um, let me just say that we are kicking his ass. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we slavery state at the state. We done cost them billions of dollars with divestment programs. We got them wanting to abolish the police. Uh, we've seen prosecutors go to prison for uh, prosecutorial misconduct, something that never happened mm-hmm. before. I mean, we are really tearing a hole up in this slavery the judges system. Judges right going now. to jail. Mm-hmm. Judges yeah. going to jail. So people are starting to understand they're waking up news is that you know we try to reach critical mass and that's what you need when uh, you want to make a change it's got to reach a point where it's just keeps creating more and more of itself and the truth does that <laughs> once you let the truth yeah. out it defends itself because it, like you can find out in five minutes what's going on if you really can right. think just a little bit all you need is five minutes let me read that 13th amendment oh wait a minute Mm-hmm. Wait, who right. put that there? Yeah, no, I, I <laughs> you know? looked at it just now, and I said, "Wait a minute here." Now that just reminds me of those guys, two dollars an hour. I was like, "Wait yes. a minute here." You know, you just, you just, the words, the verbiage, words are powerful. Words are spelled, spelling, right? So you mm-hmm. can make and create anything you want with words. So if you're not a wordsmith, you're not able to read the spoken language. Then yeah, you, there's stuff. 
hiding behind words. And you can read the words, but if you're not able to overstand and look behind the words, then you right. know, you're 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 losing a whole uh, perspective of what someone's doing, you know. And the family, no. that documentary, you guys must watch that. It's on Netflix. Yeah, yeah you, you, you heard me talking about it earlier because you put me on yeah, to it. It's amazing. It's mind blowing. Well, and it makes makes a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I, I did want to give you a, uh, some advice. Most of the people that I know who have really comprehended it, what we're dealing with, go through all five stages of grief. <laughs> you know, I went through it, and everybody else seemed to go through it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you first hear, and you're like, no, no, it ain't. Denial comes in, and then when you really get it, it's like you get angry. And why shouldn't you be? The level of betrayal is epic. <laughs> you know, and then right. go through all them bargaining, depression, and acceptance. But with us abolitionists, we add a sixth thing to there, and that is action. We do something about it. It don't matter who you are, you can do something. Even if you're just telling somebody, listen to abolition today, and you'll get some knowledge. You'll walk away richer than right. you came in, you know? Oh, definitely. Mm. I think that you guys have a really interesting setup with the music and the spoken word, the artist. I went through like a billion emotions. I was crying. (laughs) I was laughing. (laughs) I I was texting you stuff like, oh, my God, what is this? This I wasn't expecting this. Like, you know, so, yes, this is great. There's still some really good stuff. Really good stuff left to come, and we do it every week. It's when we bring the ancestors' words back to life alongside contemporary artists, and that's probably my favorite part of the program. It's how we finish it. You, seven and I will end the show before we play that. So, like you and everybody else, we can sit back and enjoy it. You know what I mean? Because that's a moment of learning and experiencing uh, mm-hmm. through the ancestors, and you can hear their voices. You know, even though it's through somebody else, it's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Welcome to the club. And, uh, Thank you. Let's I'm get it so going. happy to be yeah. a part of the film. All right, guys. Indeed. Keep, keep doing you. what you're right, doing. Peace. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for calling in, Tiffany. And uh, so, unfortunately, we short on time, and so we have to start uh, winding down to our closing segment. And you know, I hope I make it through without crying, man, because this <laughs> is just a, such an awesome uh, first season, man. And we just covered so much. So. Uh, I, wow. I did want to give out an apology. You know, we started, we, we're, we're very humble with our stuff. You know what I mean? It, it, and mm-hmm. we're financed and, and sponsored by prison organizations, which are not wealthy organizations, but they wanted us to speak and to get this story out because they believe in it as well. Um, so right. when we started out, we started out with less than par uh, equipment. So you might hear some bad days where I'm on the cell phone yeah. and it's going in and out or you said, my, but we kept improving. As we go along, and, and season two, we expect to be even better. At one point, Yusuf and I are planning on being together in a single studio where we can also do this as a live video stream as well, play the videos that we talk about and all of that. So wow, that would co- be amazing. A couple of dates that are coming up that I did want to tell people about before we get up out of here, Yusuf, if that's all right? Yes, yes, all right, please. Uh, yeah. We got uh, two events that are important to the abolitionist movement. That is December 2nd, which is the International uh, Day of Slavery Abolition, and then December 6th, which is the 155th anniversary of the ratification of the 13th Amendment. 
So we're doing events on both of those days. On December 2nd, there will be a live stream available, and we'll have spoken word artists, performers, as well as music videos. That'll include Coretta Brown, Nikki Llewellyn, uh, Maximum Impact Poetry, myself and my wife, Tribal Rain, Spirit the Tattoo Poet, Tamika Staley, and Darren J., the artist. So that will be happening on the second. It's sponsored by the wow. Coffee Abolitionist Center. Where we'll be live what a lineup. From here, Prismatic <laughs> Dreams, and Be Frank for Justice. Uh, then on December 6th, Dennis Febo, myself, Travel Rain, and Savannah Eldridge will be traveling to Alabama in regards to the 155th anniversary of the ratification of the 13th in an event called Slavery by Another Name, 1865. Uh, we'll be at Montgomery Plaza, which is formerly Klein Park, at One Court Square from 2 to 4 p.m. As I said, once again, the speakers are myself, Dennis Febo, Savannah Eldridge, and Tribal Rain. And that is sponsored by the Abolished Slavery National Network, the Paul Coffey Abolitionist Center, Be Frank for Justice, and the Free Alabama Movement. So look for us in those two locations. One is live stream on the Internet, and the other one is live in person in Alabama. Yes, sir. And, of course, all of this information will be up on our Abolition Today Facebook page. And we'll probably share it on social, other social media platforms as well. Oh, Max, Max, Max. So I'd like to take a moment just to shout out our sponsors by name. You know, we want to thank everyone who was a part of this uh, historic and moving experience during, during Season 1. And for those who followed our broadcast, you know it's been epic, a master class on modern legal slavery, abolition narrated in real time while reporting on the growth and the people behind a national movement. Max and I brought our flavor to the mix with amazing music, poetry, guests, commentary, and the eternal voices of the ancestors. So we definitely want to thank everyone for that. To uh, all our listeners and sponsors, we salute you. And a special thank. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, uh, JLS, Jailhouse Lawyer Speaks Prisoners, uh, Human Rights, I Am We Prison Advocacy Network, Millions for Prisoners Coalition, the Paul Coffey Abolitionist Center, SEMA Urge, uh, Uplifting Racial Justice, Prismatic Dreams. And once again, Abolition Today is named by, created by, sponsored by, and supported by organized inmate groups. We're also sponsored by and partnered with friends, activists, and urban arts organizations. So, Max, here we are. Yeah, man, we at the end of the road. We got to let it go, man. We're stretching yeah. it out, but we got we to gotta let this episode go. Man. Continue to follow this every Sunday. We won't be hosting until this January 3rd, but we will be playing unique content. So, for instance, on New Year's Eve, we'll be playing abolitionist music throughout the day. So you can, you know, enjoy your New Year's Eve with some real good music. You know how we roll up on here, poetry and spoken word and music. And also, we'll be playing the 19 episodes with Frederick Douglass, read by Ossie Davis, followed by the music we paired it with throughout uh, that period as well. So if you missed that and you just want to hear that, that is awesome by itself. So you'll be able to hear that. It's just we won't have hosts. Um, I guess I'm going to give my final quote, and uh, I want to say thank you to our guests tonight, Jamelia Land and Samuel Nathaniel Brown, who came in and shared their wisdom and talent. 
Uh, also to the caller, uh, welcome to the club once again, <laughs> brother Yusuf. Well done. And uh, everybody you. has supported us along the way. Uh, we, you know, we do this because we love our people. We love each other. You know what I mean? We we want better. We want to change, real change. And it always starts with the first step. And when it comes to this freedom thing, apparently slavery is legal. So the first step is to make it illegal. And we'll work from there. <laughs> We've never done that before, so let's do it. Um, and we look forward to seeing you on January 3rd when we come back with Messiah Ram Kasum. You've heard his wow. songs played here on Abolition Today. Uh, you know, like, uh, what's the one that you be rocking all the time? Man, you know, it's the like rotten, rotten cotton, cotton from the rotten cotton field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> rotten, rotten cotton field. <laughs> and let me tell you, Messiah Ram Kassoon is an abolitionist as well. So I'm looking forward to that on January 3rd, right here on Abolition Today. So let me end this with this quote. And I say this. Because, you know, think about why the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. It says, you had better all die immediately than live slaves and entail your wretchedness upon your posterity. 1843, Henry Highland Garnet. And he said that in all honesty, because this is a thing we're dooming our children to endure unless we end it now. You s- yes, sir. And I'll... And with my quote, it's my favorite thing. I've said it many times, you know, throughout this uh, season, and it just rings true in my heart. If you're not ready to die for it, take the word freedom out of your vocabulary. And that's by El Haj, Malik Al Shabazz, Rahimahullah, Malcolm X. So, in our Bridging the Gap segment, Henry Highland Garnett's 1843 speech at the National Negro Convention in Buffalo, New York. In this speech, Reverend Garnett, an abolitionist and formerly enslaved, urges American slaves to revolt to win their freedom. This is the final segment and will be narrated by Timeless Reader One. We close out with legendary gospel great, Reverend Dr. Shirley Caesar. Satan, we're going to tear your kingdom down. And that's what we're out to, to tear down this kingdom of this monument that's been built of modern slavery or slavery that just has never been abolished. Remember to check out our podcast on our major streaming platforms. Also on uh, YouTube, you can check out uh, previous videos. We have the abolitionist music. So any final comment, Max? Uh, we're out of time, brother. If we want to hear this whole clip, we got to start. Yes, sir. See you so January 3rd. Until Janu- That's right. See you January 3rd, inshallah, God willing. So in- until then, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Abolition, abolition today. The combined powers of Europe have placed their broad seal of disapprobation upon the African slave trade. But in the slave-holding parts of the United States, the trade is as brisk as ever. They buy and sell you as though you were brute beasts. The North has done much. Her opinion of slavery in the abstract is known. But in regard to the South, we adopted the opinion of the New York evangelist. We have advanced so far that the cause apparently waits for a more effectual door to be thrown open than has been yet. We are about to point out that more effectual door. Look around you and behold the bosoms of your loving wives heaving with untold agonies. Hear the cries of your poor children. Remember the stripes your fathers bore. Think of the torture and disgrace 
of your noble mothers. Think of your wretched sisters, loving virtue and purity, as they are driven into concubinage, and are exposed to the unbridled lusts of incarnate devils. Think of the undying glory that hangs around the ancient name of Africa, and forget not that you are native-born American citizens, and as such you are justly entitled to all the rights that are granted to the freest. Think how many tears you have poured out upon the soil which you have cultivated with unrequited toil and enriched with your blood, and then go to your lordly enslavers and tell them plainly that you are determined to be free. Appeal to their sense of justice and tell them that they have no more right to oppress you than you have to enslave them. Entreat them to remove the grievous burdens which they have imposed upon you, and to remunerate you for your labor. Promise them renewed diligence in the cultivation of the soil if they will render to you an equivalent for your services. Point them to the increase of happiness and prosperity in the British West Indies since the Act of Emancipation. Tell them, in language which they cannot misunderstand, of the exceeding sinfulness of slavery, and of a future judgment, and of the righteous retributions of an indignant God. Inform them that all you desire is freedom, and that nothing else will suffice. Do this, and forever after cease to toil for the heartless tyrants, who give you no other reward but stripes and abuse. If they then commence the work of death, they, and not you, will be responsible for the consequences. You had better all die immediately than live slaves and entail your wretchedness upon your posterity. If you would be free in this generation, here is your only hope. However much you and all of us may desire it, there is not much hope of redemption without the shedding of blood. If you must bleed, let it all come at once. Rather die freemen than live to be slaves. It is impossible, like the children of Israel, to make a grand exodus from the land of bondage. The pharaohs are on both sides of the blood-red waters. You cannot move en masse to the dominions of the British Queen, nor can you pass through Florida and overrun Texas and at last find peace in Mexico. The propagators of American slavery are spending their blood and treasure that they may plant the black flag in the heart of Mexico and riot in the halls of the Montezumas. In the language of the Reverend Robert Hall, when addressing the volunteers of Bristol, who were rushing forth to repel the invasion of Napoleon, who threatened to lay waste the fair homes of England, religion is too much interested in your behalf not to shed over you her most gracious influences. You will not be compelled to spend much time in order to become inured to hardships. From the first moment that you breathed the air of heaven, you have been accustomed to nothing else but hardships. The heroes of the American Revolution were never put upon harder fare than a peck of corn and a few herrings per week. You have not become enervated by the luxuries of life. Your sternest energies have been beaten out 
upon the anvil of severe trial. Slavery has done this, to make you subservient to its own purposes. But it has done more than this. It has prepared you for any emergency. If you receive good treatment, it is what you could hardly expect. If you meet with pain, sorrow, and even death, these are the common lot of slaves. Fellow men, patient sufferers, behold your dearest rights crushed to the earth. See your sons murdered and your wives, mothers and sisters doomed to prostitution. In the name of the merciful God and by all that life is worth, let it no longer be a debatable question whether it is better to choose liberty or death or death or death or death. Satan, we're gonna tear your kingdom down, Lord Jesus. Oh,
Abolition Today. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.